had my heart broken. I've been a single mother off and on for 10 years. I've had people cheat on me. I've had, you know, one of my kids' dad just totally fucking disappear. I have every reason to be angry at men. And through that inner work, my love has only gotten stronger and my trust has only gotten stronger. And that's the muscle you have to work if you want to meet someone who you want to trust fully. So you have to develop the skill in yourself. Welcome to Crazy Wisdom. I'm your host, Luke Antrop. Crazy Wisdom is our show about the wild, the unexpected and interesting places we find ourselves in during our quest to live a life of deeper meaning and deeper truth. My hope is with each conversation and each story, you discover a new part of yourself on your journey towards making the most out of this one wild and precious life. This is a Soulfire production. Well, I'm thrilled to have Kiana Reeves on this episode of Crazy Wisdom. Welcome back to the show, Kiana. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here again. Yeah. So I think you're the first repeat guest. Yes. And and I don't know. I don't know if we should call you a guest, a collaborator, just to remind the audience of what you, you're up to in the world. Kiana is a somatic sex educator. Tell us a little bit more about your work in the world, Kiana. Yeah. So somatic sex education, sexological bodywork essentially means learning about sexuality and pleasure through hands-on understanding of the body. It's not from the mind explaining things. It's really through sensation, through pleasure mapping, through understanding the nervous system. And I also do a lot of work in the intimacy embodiment relationship space, as you know. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay, great. So we we had an experiment a few months ago where we collected, harvested a whole bunch of questions from our social media channels and did a Q&A. And I thought that that show was just went swimmingly well. And so did the audience. We got a really great response from all of the Crazy Wisdom community. So we're having you back here to go through some more questions from the audience. We've spent the last, I don't know, several days collecting questions, mostly on our Instagram pages. And um, we want to get through as many of these as possible. How's that sound? Amazing. And the questions are so good. Really thankful to everyone who sent them in. Yeah. Thanks to everybody. We probably aren't going to get through all of them, but we'll get through as many as we can. All right. Let's kick this off, shall we? Yes. We'll We'll have some fun with these. All right. So the first one is about libido. Any advice for increasing libido? Since my divorce, I have had zero desire. It's been three and a half years now. Mm. So, and little background on this, I, I saw where this came from, who this came from. There's a, it's a pretty, pretty rough divorce, pretty intense. This is a man that's, um, yeah, just in a big transition. So, what do you, what do you think about this question, libido? Oh, I love that this is from a man because usually you think about heartbreak and its impact, and it's usually associated with women, you know, as the, uh, as we're considered the more quote unquote emotional of the, the genders. But one thing I think immediately here is that this is a perfect example of how our emotions and a life experience can deeply, deeply impact our sexuality and our sexual expression. And a lot of times when we talk about libido, people think about it as this like thing that lives independently of our life circumstances, that it's like just this urge that lives on its own. And actually, it is so connected to our hearts. It's so connected to the people that we're in relationship with. It's so connected to our biology and our hormones. And if you went through something particularly stressful, maybe even a little bit emotionally traumatic, your cortisol levels are going to be really, really high. You're probably going to feel a sense of exhaustion, a lot of grief, maybe some anger. And if that is living in the body in a consistent way, even three years later, if you're still feeling that, it's going to mess with your hormones because the way that the cascade, that hormones, the way that they work is when you're... Um, making a lot of cortisol, which is a stress response, your body prioritizes that over your sex hormones. So your testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, et cetera. So that's like strictly a a biological level. And then you look at how the heart and the body work, right? If you've been with someone a long time, you made serious vows in marriage, you know, to be with that person potentially the rest of your life. And there's a level of heartbreak, I believe, with any divorce, whether it's recognized or not, that if that goes unprocessed, unfelt in the body, 
it's going to stay that way probably for a long time. So there's not a readiness or a willingness to like stand in the face and the heat of love again. Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you be decimated? And so a lot of what I think might be important to investigate here without knowing the specifics is, um, is this piece around emotions, right? We are such a, a therapy focused culture, which is beautiful. And a lot of therapy focus on the mind and the awareness of the emotions. But you actually have to move them. Like thinking about your feelings, having awareness of them is not the same as feeling them. So I highly recommend doing somatic work here, being able to process grief, rage, anger, resentment, anything that's left over so that it feels clear. And then go yeah. from there. Yeah, I love this. So there's the, what you're pointing to is kind of the psychotherapeutic work necessary. I mean, actually, the first thing I'll say about this one is how wise the body is, right? Like, we go through these traumatic experiences, these very uncomfortable, very painful experiences, and the body knows just what to do to stay safe, right? Don't get hurt like that again, right? And um, there's wisdom in that. Now, there's also what I'm hearing in the question is there's also desire. There's desire for, you know, we're calling this libido, but maybe there's a desire for connection with another desire for intimacy, desire for sex that, um, hasn't been there. And, um, but first of all, I just say like the body is wise. It knows it needs to heal. So giving the body some space to heal and the heart and the emotions, some space to heal is, is wise. And as you're pointing out, there's this psychotherapeutic work of an embodied work of like really feeling all the pain of the the loss, right? The pain of the loss of the relationship, maybe previous losses, and to really allow ourselves to metabolize um, our heartache. And then with on the other side of that, and it's possible, right? It's it's I, I think about my own divorce, which was about five years ago, and you know, there was a, it was a solid year or maybe even two where it was, I was just not really available for deep relationship. And my desire for that was pretty low, but it ends because that, that period ended because I went into the pain that I was feeling and all the heartache and really allowed myself to just get to the bottom of the grief. And even some of the the feelings about my own self, not just about her, but about me, my own kind of shame. And that there is an end to that, even though in the moment, it doesn't necessarily feel like it. So that's the emotional work, right? And in, in my mind, best done with like a really good therapist or a coach, where you can go into that cathartic release of emotions that's stored in the body, right? Absolutely. Now, when we get on the other side of the emotional, there's also some things we can do with the physical body around libido. Anything you want to you want to mention there? Uh, yeah, I would say testosterone. If this mm -hmm. question is coming from yeah. you know someone who's male bodied, um, testosterone is crucial, crucial, crucial to the male libido. And there's a lot of ways you can support it. Simply getting out and exercising, weight training, getting in the sun. Like vitamin D is a huge, huge influence on our vitamin D production, which is a huge influence on our nitric oxide levels, which support all of our arousal. And so there's this cascade of get yourself moving your body in, you know, high intensity, some level of high intensity workouts and out in nature to ground. I think that would be a key thing. And then the second is if you want to like dive into your hormonal matrix, which is really interesting and cool, you might be making the right amount of testosterone for your body and your age. But there's something specific called, uh, it's, a, it's a sex hormone binding globulin that your body can start to make because of environmental conditions, including stress, that it will actually bind to your testosterone or bind to your sex hormones so that it's not active in the body. And I would look into that just because our biochemistry is so closely related to our sex drive. And I have a lot of curiosity and fun there. And then if you want to kind of stoke your libido and desire, self-pleasuring and masturbation is like a beautiful way to bring safe, loving self-touch to stimulate that source in yourself, maybe without stepping into relationship or partnership if you're not ready for that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So just beginning to open up the erotic channels again by masturbation or or just any form of self-pleasure with or without ejaculation, right? There's a thing about edging and taking ourselves, 
you know, especially for men taking ourselves into self-pleasure without ejaculation that builds desire within us. But for some people, it's actually, it's better to just ejaculate and get that, uh, that circuit reopened, right? If we've just been totally shut down for some actually ejaculating through self-pleasure is, is the way. So just experimenting with that. I have one more little thought. Yeah. Yeah. So for this person in particular, I don't know if there's, you know, if you have a lot of contact in your life, but something that can be beautiful and healing in this period that will nurture desire and will nurture libido, but won't put any demand on you is getting and receiving loving touch. So massages, like hiring someone that you really like to once a month come and just like rub your body, move energy through your muscles is such a gift to yourself and will really help you find that kind of like safety and touch again, that, that feeling of, ah, like, oh yeah, this feels really good, you know? Wonderful. Great. Okay. So let's, let's take the next one, shall we? Yes. Okay. This one says lesbian couple. My wife and I haven't had sex in over a year. We've become basically roommates. We're not even nice to each other anymore, but I would love to reconnect. We're young and have a beautiful family. It's such a good question. Um, the, the part of the question that stands out to me the most is we're not even nice anymore to each other. And I think like that's your key. That's your entry point is, you know, going back to the first question is like how connected our hearts are to our bodies, how connected our hearts and our emotional fields are to our sex drive and our desire for that person. And if you're not even getting along and you're not being very nice to each other and there's not a sense of like you're both equally and deeply investing in the quality of the time you spend together. Like, why would you want to have sex? You know, like the sex is the penultimate experience of closeness and togetherness. So if you're not even feeling that in your day-to-day interaction, like why would you even desire that? You wouldn't. So I would start there. I would start with the investigation of like, what is the resentment? What is in the way? What are the things that I'm holding on to that have gone unsaid? Ask your partner to do the same, like really do an inventory together. What's getting in the way here? And then prioritize time, like really schedule time. As a young family, you have to put pieces in place where you can connect just as lovers. And that doesn't necessarily mean jump back into lovemaking right away, but Connecting as lovers means tending to your relationship, tending to each other's hearts, like really being curious about what's happening in there. How did we get to this point? You know, and from there, I think you start to like, if you're, if you're available to receive feedback and you give it to each other in a loving way, you can start to pull apart the, the tangle that it sounds like you're in of, you know, life responsibilities, uncommunicated thoughts, feelings, you know, past resentments, and a lack of polarity, a lack of sexual charge in the relationship that has turned into this kind of, what do we do with this? So I'd start with the emotional field. And then I would also start with each individual person's relationship to self-pleasure and relationship to their own sexuality and what they need that they're not getting in this relationship. Great. Yeah. Let's try this out. Here's, here's one option. Sweetheart, I want to just take responsibility for how our relationship has eroded a bit over the last year. And um, I feel like we're not connecting in the way that we used to, in the way that I think we both want and thought we would be. And here are a few areas that I have let down our relationship. I have gotten lazy about protecting time or just you and I. I've let the little things become big things by not speaking my heart. And whatever else, you know, whatever else you can take responsibility for. And the idea here is it's getting out of the blame circuit of, of, you know, resentment and really just taking a hundred percent responsibility and just seeing what opens up from that. And on the back end of taking responsibility is, is being clear about the vision for where that you would like the relationship to go. So I've taken, you know, let me take responsibility for this. This is what I can imagine how we can grow closer, you know, that we we maybe need to speak some truths to clear some things out. Maybe we need to get some help from a therapist to do that or a coach, but there's some things that we just need to clear out. My hope is that on the other side of that, we can really step into a new chapter in our relationship. Every relationship goes through its down cycles and I'm really committed to you. And over the long term, I'm hoping that 
we're stepping into some new adventure where we're re-meeting each other. We're meeting these newer versions of ourselves, right? So that could be a way that the that there's an initiation for the relationship into something new. And then, so that's that's more on the emotional level, right? Just setting the stage for a new chapter and doing that hard work of clearing out resentments, owning owning where you you know let her down, let the relationship down. So that's in the relational field. Then there's the field of like traction and and eroticism. And, you know, we, we like to talk about this as like making art with your love, where you begin to find little moments where you can turn up the flirt, turn up the heat, turn up the spice, the juice. And I think oftentimes the emotional piece, that kind of reset needs to happen first. But once a little bit of that has happened, just begin to look for moments to take some risk and embody some form of eroticism or bring some sort of gift to your partner that you maybe used to do or you have always wanted to do, right? So just looking for those those little windows wedging into taking a risk essentially sexually, even if it doesn't mean like having sex, but just these sexy moments. Yeah. I, I love what you said. And when you were speaking as the partner, if, if my partner came to me and say that, or a past partner came to me and said something like that, like my nervous system immediately was like, Oh, it feels so good to hear someone step in and take responsibility to be the person that fully owns. We're here, you know, hundred percent because of me and obviously also a hundred percent because of the other person's mm-hmm. contributions, but mm-hmm. to be the first to step in and have it be a call in instead of a call out is, is such an invitation to change the dynamic. And as I was listening to you speak, Luke, there was one piece around, you know, we, we talk about like embodying your erotic energy. And I think that's something that's so important. It's not something that a lot of people know how to, how to really get in and finesse. They might have a few flavors of their sexuality that feels really strong that they feel really connected to. It's kind of like your personality, right? You know, you spend however many decades of your life, like being familiar in your own habits. And that is to the world, your personality with We are the exact same in sexual moments. And so we have a few flavors that are really comfortable for us. And those are usually the ones we bring into the bedroom. And that's great in the beginning of a relationship, but what most people desire in long-term relationship, especially in sex, is feeling a sense of possibility that there's a dynamic, you know, ever-changing, ever-growing field of connection. And to do that, both people have to be willing to consistently seek out their edges, not their edges of this makes me uncomfortable, but their edges, their inner edges of like, oh, what, what am I really craving in our sex life? What are my deepest needs here? Where do I want to go? And then to be able to share that with each other and not take your partner's desires or your desires as pressure to to figure out like how to bring them to each other artfully as a gift is so beautiful and can be quite confronting. But honestly, like the the most amazing growth comes from that place. You'll meet Mm. each other in new ways again and again and again. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Great. Okay, so I hope there's there's some nuggets there for you. Let's go on to the next question. And actually, I might just call these like there's a cluster of them. We I, we probably got there's like I don't know somewhere between four or five of these a version of the same question. It's basically the where are all the good men question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Which is most any time we do these Q and A's, this is a very uh, common question that we get. Right. So let me let me give you a couple different versions that it was presented at, as for this one. How do I find a man that is deep enough to hold my heart? Uh, another person wrote, how do I not get discouraged when not meeting men who are on the on the good conscious level? Do you want to take this one first? Sure, I can take this one. You know, I would think about this as both an inside and an outside way to essentially attract a mate. So we're, we're, these questions came from women looking for good men and, you know, the my my recommendation with this always is to start with the inside before talking about the outside right the inside is how have i prepared myself to be ready and to receive a partner that is 
um, deep enough for me, that is trustworthy enough for me, right? And in that, there's a whole examination and a lot of work around clearing the past out, all of our, you know, our relational trauma, our relational baggage, so that we show up clear and bright and and able to essentially call him in, right? And I think oftentimes it's easy, it's human nature to want to kind of go on to the next relationship right away without doing that. And other people feel that. They feel our lack of availability, our unresolved feelings of the past. And so often this, you know, when I hear this question from, you know, my coaching clients, I often will say like, you know, have you done some sort of cleanse, which we've talked about, you know, I think we talked about this on our last episode. I talked to when I had Kendra Kunava on, she runs a whole program called the No Man Diet, which is like a three to six month, basically like no dating, no dating, no flirting, so that you're forced really to just be with yourself, be with yourself in a deep way. And to do that initial work of clearing out the past and then the deeper work of really loving oneself, loving one's essence. And from that place, then our heart becomes so much more available. I certainly experienced this, right? Like our heart just is clear. It knows it becomes more of a beacon of attracting what we want, but also can feel into the other and not feel from a place of graspiness or neediness, but can really feel those around us in a really genuine way. So that's the inside work. And then there's the outside work strategy, right? And I can say a word or two about this, which is, you know, I think that there's like asking friends is a great way, right? Mm -hmm. Like find men that are maybe in relationships that you know they're hanging with good men and take a risk of just saying, hey, do you have any brothers that you might introduce me to that, you know, you think would be a good fit for me? I get these a lot, right? Like it's, there's a, I think it's a great, it's a great way to go about it. Um, and, and even asking, you know, asking anyone doesn't need to be just men, but uh, finding people that you feel like are, that are deep enough, even if they're not available and, and asking them. All right. What do you have on this one, Kiana? Oh, so many things. <laughs> Where are all the good men, Kiana? I feel really like, I love how you set this up, like the inside and the outside, right? Mm -hmm. And you and I both have, we went through, I feel like similar processes, similar times in the work that we've done. And so there is like such important inner work that has to be done around resentment, disappointment, anger at men, because not only do you have your, you know, personal biological nervous system imprint from all the men and all the decades of your life so far and how you relate to them like in your body and in your memory. But then we have as women inherited this like real collective pain and uh, I would even say fear and threat from heartbreak or being abandoned or being hurt, you know, physically, sexually. And so we're in this really interesting time where like I understand the question like it doesn't always feel easy right? Because women in a lot of ways are like, I'm doing the work. I'm trying so hard. You know, I'm healing my wounds and like, where is my person? And I'd say like, just keep cutting a layer deeper. You know, have you really looked at like, go in and feel into your wounds, feel into the heartbreaks you've had and ask yourself, like, have I really cleared that? Have I really owned my part of that? Where am I still holding blame or judgment or resentment or anger? Because that will be felt. And not only will it be felt by a potential partner, but it will also get in the way of you being able to see clearly how the person in front of you is actually acting. And I think that's something that, you know, when we talk about nervous system, like our nervous system just literally runs the show all the time, regardless of what we think and understand about it. And so if we're living from a place where like men aren't that trustable or like a man, I've never really met a man that could meet me, you're going to enter subconsciously into experiences with a lack of trust, a lack of safety, and a little bit of disappointment already. And then he's going to prove you right. He's going to prove you right because somehow these patterns will just keep playing out. And so you have to do that work to like scrub scrub, scrub, scrub that gunk away so that you can be present like in your body now. And also 
I did this when I was at the end of my, you know, the, my cleanse and it was kind of just this spontaneous thing, but I, I, I went through and methodically in my heart or in person or over the phone, um, thanked everyone I had ever loved. And I really like, I either called their energy if I couldn't actually talk to them and I really felt them. And I, I felt the way they loved me well, even if they fucking smashed my hearts to bits, you know? And that process of going like, oh, wow, you taught me this about myself. You gave me this gift. I ended up at the end of that process. It was a few hours I was in that space just weeping and seeing clearly for the first time, like how well I had been loved in my life, you know? And this is like, my story is not an easy one. Like I've had my heart broken. I've been a single mother off and on for 10 years. I've had people cheat on me. I've had, you know, one of my kids' dad just totally fucking disappear, not involved. And so I have every reason to be angry at men. And through that inner work, my love has only gotten stronger and my trust has only gotten stronger. And that's the muscle you have to work if you want to meet someone who you want to trust fully. So you have to develop the skill in yourself to be able to trust fully and love fully, even if you're fucking terrified. And then the outside piece, like you were talking about, the only thing I would add is that, yeah, your community is your best resource. So if you have an amazing community, amazing friends, have a dinner party or have a picnic in the park and say, invite someone that you just adore. Maybe I've never met them before, but like invite all your good people and start expanding your network of good people, of, you know, the brightest, most amazing people in your life so that you get more exposure to connections like that, even if they end up being friendship. Amen, sister. So much, so much wisdom there. Let me just say one more thing, which is, you know, worked with men for over 20 years now, drawing a little bit on my own experience here. What does a deep man want? I mean, obviously every man's different, but there are some, there are some universals in my experience, which is a fully expressed heart, right? Like a, a partner, a woman, whose heart can go a lot of different directions that has a lot of different textures of how she loves me, loves him, right? And so all these different flavors and, and, and kind of colors of feminine beauty and power and witchiness and sweetness and the dark side, right? Like pretty much every man alive will find that compelling and especially a deep man because he's not going to be afraid of your power, right? So how does one get to that? It's through the work that, that we're describing of like really healing the past and then finding new edges of expression, of, of really moving pleasure, moving love, moving light through her body. And usually do that with a coach or a teacher because mm -hmm. the things that we're sharing are actually a very deep practices and tools that you... Most of the time, unless you have some embodiment practice or you have some, you know, somatic awareness of how to move stuff in your body, at least in the beginning, really need help facilitating access to that. Because, you know, how do I facilitate my own grief and anger is like, mm -hmm. that's a, that can be a pretty big thing to take on without support. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then on the outside, like the other one that we didn't mention is like, go to, go to, retreats, go to yeah. trainings, go yeah, to festivals, absolutely. go to places where, you know, it's, it's different than meeting somebody at a bar, yeah. you know, or on an app, you know, not, nothing wrong with apps, but, but, you know, putting yourself in places that are the cultural context is deeper. Right. Love that. All right. So ready for the next one? Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you ever switch roles in the masculine feminine embodiment? For example, where she is in the masculine and he fills the feminine. Yes. All yes. the time, all day long, every day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, it would be kind of boring if it was just, you know, one way, right? It's, yeah. this is life. This is being human. Yeah. And let's, let's just, let's, let's frame this up first through the lens of like gender and sex, right? Like we're born into the bodies we're born into Right. And then there are these energies that we can embody that are outside of gender and sex, masculine energies, feminine energies. Right. And oftentimes sexual attraction is based on the polarity of those two, meaning extreme masculine energy can be very attractive to extreme feminine energy. And there's a loop that's created. 
So oftentimes in a, in a heteronormative culture, in a heterosexual relationship, the, not always, but often the, the man is more in his masculine, the woman's more in his feminine, does not need to be that way, can be flipped, can be a lot of different ways. There's also all different forms of who you're attracted to and what body you're born into that layer into this. But we're just talking about these as energies, not as gender and sex, right? So what about this? What about the role reversal? So- so here's what I think, you know, people who are a little bit versed in polarity, the, the note that gets missed is that everybody has masculine and feminine energies in them at all times. And it's not just like, I'm either in my masculine or in my feminine. You're in both at all times at varying degrees, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for your entire life. And it's not just one body for polarity that we have, right? It's like how our mind works can be, you know, quote unquote, masculine, feminine. And I do quotes because some people, even with the, the, you know, us saying like, this is not gender, this is not sex. These are classic archetypes that come from a long line of Tantra and plenty of other religious and spiritual traditions from around the world. People will still hear these stereotypes within the language. So some people will use words like yin and yang or Shakti and Shiva or alpha and omega. And the idea is really a universal truth of polarity, that there is magnetism between things that look very different. So you can use a natural example of like the the rock that holds the waterfall, the rock that's the encasement for the waterfall and the water that's flowing over. The rock in this case would be the masculine. It's the structure that holds the energy that moves through it. And so again, we can have, you know, the way that our mind works can be masculine or feminine, the way that our body moves and, and behaves masculine or feminine. Our sexual energy can be more masculine or feminine. And so we have not only a fluctuating range just in our day to day, but different places are going to appear in different ways. And so a really healthy relationship to your own inner polarities to understand how to inhabit and how to focus both energies, depending on the context you're in. And if you're in a sexual context, fuck yes. Like going back and forth is one of the most incredible and generous and exciting part of polarity, actually. And I'll leave it there because you're smiling and I feel like jump in here and I'll add more in a moment. Yes. So these are energies, right? These are energies that we can play with. And it's actually boring, as we said, like to just get locked into the same way of relating. So of course, depending on the moment we're in, depending on our own mood, we can flip those around. There's nothing sexier than a woman taking control in bed and bossing a guy around, right? Like there's something really, really hot about that. And, you know, there's moments for me when I'm like, if I've worked my ass off and I've been like, you know, I've been holding a lot of people or doing something big and I'm on the backside of that, like I, you know, my capacity to hold my lover, to hold my partner is diminished and I need to be held. I need to be like taken care of. I need to be you know, I need her presence and her consciousness to help me figure out what I need, whether it's sexually, physically, or just like, you know, getting through feeding myself, <laughs> right? That would be an example of, a, of reversing the polarity. Yeah. And of course, we can take this to the extreme as well. And there's all sorts of like juicy things, kinky things we can do in the bedroom when the roles are reversed. And, you know, I think, I do think that for most people often like early in a relationship there's like an establishment of of these normal poles especially in a heterosexual relationship where the man goes into deep masculine consciousness she goes into her feminine embodiment and there's this nice healthy ground of health the ground of health is laid around that arc of polarity where there's attraction right but as we as our relationship you know ages and as things progress we we don't want to get stuck in the same loops right and so this is where mixing it up can be really really help healthy and juicy yeah i agree and while you were saying that i was just thinking you know a, pl a place that this shows up a lot is you know in feminine embodiment 
one of the key things is you're, you're in the energy. And when you're in a sexual moment, you're in the energy of pleasure and letting pleasure like move through every cell of your body. And you're not holding the awareness of the experience as much as you are experiencing it and just letting it move you. And men really need that. Like there is a lot of performance pressure, I think, especially in heterosexual relationships on, you know, what his cock is doing and how he's making her feel. And all of that is very, very important. But actually for him to get to experience receiving pleasure so that his body can soften and for her to be able to experience and attune and and track his body and track what's happening and listen to it, like that back and forth for each other as a way to open each other as a way, like this is a really good practice switching back and forth in foreplay to help each other build arousal and get into the space of pleasure together because pleasure is what's going to relax their nervous system and open the bodies for anybody involved. And so being able to kind of spin it back and forth in those early opening stages of a sexual experience is really such a gift for both people, especially if someone's feeling a little stuck in their head or having a hard time, like you said, transitioning from like, I work into, oh, hi, like, let's make love, you know, we, we need an anchor sometimes with pleasure for that. And so it's very healthy to switch back and forth and you can find, you know, when it works best and when it maybe becomes a turnoff. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, there's one more piece in this, right. Which is in order for us to play around with reversing the poles and, um, you know, that full expression we have to be okay with those parts of ourselves, right? Like, so as a man, it means, you know, there's a risk that I'm willing to take around going into my own feminine, being led and held by her. There's a surrender that needs to happen. And there's a just being okay with those more receptive parts of myself, right? And for her, there need, there is an opportunity for her to be okay with her directive power. And in her confidence and her consciousness of holding him, right? And so there is an inner peace around this that it manifests relationally, uh, but it's really a reflection of our own capacity again to be fully expressed, right? And the more fully expressed we are, the much more attractive we'll be to our partner. All right. I love this one. How do I approach my best male friend? romantically. We've only been friends till now. We're both shy. Ooh. Ooh. I'm pondering. Do you have a, you have a hit right away? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, um, there's kind of two ways to play this that I would say. Um, first is to just have a conversation, right? Like use your words as they say, right? Just bring it to him as a simple thing about like, Hey, I've noticed that I feel really comfortable with you. I'm really drawn to you. I'm curious if there's more here for us than just being friends. And is that something you'd like to explore, right? There's the talking it out and, or there's the showing him, right? The, the, the latter would be, so I'm reading in this question that you're attracted to him, that you're drawn to him in some way, that you're drawn to him as a potential partner you're drawn to him romantically, sexually. So bringing a bit of that, that draw, that the, the turn on, the attraction, amplifying it in some artful way and just seeing how he responds, right? Seeing about kind of drawing it out from him in, a, in an artful way. So there's the words and then there's the body, right? Yeah. And, you know, the riskier one is definitely the body. You think so? I think the riskier one is communicating. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, I was like, I would start with the body and see how he responds is to kind of test it. Right. And when we say like, start with your body, it's not like you're like rubbing up on him and you show up in lingerie. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) well, maybe that you'd know really quickly then. (laughs) That's high flame, but I like it. Um, High risk, high reward. Yeah. You know, it could be something as simple as you guys go out to lunch or dinner and you really let how you feel in your heart, like you bring your awareness of how you feel about him through your heart and through your face. So your chest is wide, 
your heart's really soft. You like, you really look in his eyes, you let him see you and see how he responds. Like watch his body language, you know? And if you're both shy people, maybe there's, you know, it will take a little minute, but you'll feel like if there's a spark, if he starts coming closer, if he looks at you, if he's centering his body with your body, if he starts to touch you, like that's all really positive feedback and can tell you a lot about his openness to exploring. So I I would say if I was going to do it, I would start with body language. Mm. And then if I wasn't getting clear signals, I would follow up with, you know, maybe after I'd try that a couple times before it started to get weird. And he was like, what the hell's going on? You know, say exactly what you said, which is, I love being with you. Like, I love spending time with you. I'm noticing that I'm you know, I'm really drawn to you and, and it feels maybe potentially like a cool romantic connection. How do you feel about it? You know, like, is that something you're interested in? Yeah. And these, you know, just to name it, these, all of these options don't come without risk, right? Mm -hmm. There's part of maybe what's happening is you're inferring that he might be interested as well. You might be sensing that from him. You might maybe can feel that. And he's, he's shy. You're both shy. And there's a bit of a barrier there that one of you needs to cross right? My sense is you probably wouldn't be asking this question if you thought he was uninterested in you in this way, but it's hard to know for certain. So there's, there is a risk here. And, um, you know, I think the risk often keeps us from, you know, keeps us kind of playing small or keeps us from ever really knowing. And so it will require bravery on one of your part if, if you both truly are interested, or even if, you know, you're interested and he's not sure yet, then it, you know, it really requires some bravery on your part. Yeah. Love always requires courage. Like it does require a willingness to potentially be decimated, you know, and that's just the way it is. There's no escaping that. I had one last thought too, which popped into my head. If you wanted to keep it simple and you kind of were like, the cues are here. Something as simple as just like sharing really clearly and really simply from your heart. Like, I really like you. I really like you, you know, and just letting him feel that and dropping it there and seeing what happens. Yeah. Yeah, There's something about that, Kiana, that I love, which is whatever it is, if it's, I really like you or it's grabbing his pinky with your pinky or or putting your hand on his chest and whatever that move is that you do to hold it and be in that, right. The shyness wants us to retract from it. The risk of it wants us to kind of contract and so whatever the move is that you make here, just allow enough space that you, that you're in it, you're really in it and you're not, and he feels that you're in it Yeah. and then not, he'll have whatever response that he's going to have. Yeah. You're not coming from strategy. You're not like pre-planning. Mm-hmm. You're letting it be a real impulse that you have and, and letting it happen. Even if you feel shy. Okay. All right. We have the open relating question of the, uh, of the episode. My wife wants to open up our marriage. I've thought about it. I've thought about it. How do I deal with jealousy? (laughs) As a jealous maniac over here, um, (laughs) that's a really good question. Like I, I'm going to come from a personal angle on this because I think jealousy is the most villainized emotion we feel. And it's actually, it's so, such an important indicator of how much we care about someone and how much our, our hearts in a little bit of a tangle with our insecurities, et cetera. So jealousy is the worst feeling to feel one of the worst, but possibly one of the best teachers. Um, and a really cool way, way to work with jealousies to like fully own it, to like inhabit it in a way where you're like, I'm fucking crazy with jealousy right now. And it might not make any sense, you know? And the trick with you, you own it in a way where you can name it and you can really be with it and you can be with the total non-logical, nonsensical quality of the intensity and you don't direct it at your partner sharply and you don't direct it necessarily at the situation sharply, but you go wide with it. You, you let it kind of like emanate from both of your side bodies, your right side, your left side, and you just be in your wave of jealousy while while feeling like how confronting this is for you, you know, and that's, that's one way to just work with the jealousy. But the second is, is ask yourself, do I want an open relationship? I don't, I don't want an open relationship. And I'm really clear about that. So if my 
partner came to me and was like, I want an open relationship, I would be a hell no to that. I would say no. And if there's something that you need, I'm 100% in on working and growing together and bringing like everything we can into this relationship to, to meet both of our needs. But, but I'd be a no. So, but that, that's me in my life. And Luke, you might have a totally different approach. Yeah. I mean, to your first point, jealousy can be a massive gift to a relationship when used consciously, let's say, right? Like it creates a boundary of safety in a certain way. It creates, uh, it, it plays around with some of these really erotic energies around claim and ownership, which are, can be kind of taboo, but are like super hot, right? So there is a thing about your mind that's really fucking hot, right? No one else gets to touch you, yeah. Yep, yeah. So there's something there that's, you know, so just naming that can be a gift. Um, I was in open relationships for off and on throughout my 20s. and. Uh, and I just realized for myself, like it just, it wasn't deep enough for me. It was, there was a superficiality to it as fun as it was. And as like interesting and novel as it was, uh, there's, there was a lack of depth there. So I would just say proceed cautiously, right? Like having seen many marriages open up and then have that, you know, uh, really cause some challenges, proceed cautiously. Don't do anything until you really feel like you're, you're in 100% integrity with yourself and your own heart. And then if it's the thing to do, um, you know, there's, there's, um, you will work jealousy. Like you will, jealousy will be one of the main elements of your life during this period. I, I just know from firsthand experience, part of why I, I just got, I personally became exhausted with working my own jealousy and others' jealousies in it. And it just was like, that was what I was doing with a lot of my time was working around jealousy. There is this idea of compersion, right? Like the those that are really into this, go back and listen to my episode with Kamala Devi McClure on sex shamans. And they're this very like open relating person who is, I think does this very well in a very deep way. And their point is that you can't, you feel jealousy, but you also can transmute that into this feeling of my partner's pleasure is my pleasure. My partner's joy brings me joy. So it is possible. I think it takes like a high level of emotional maturity and ability to process it and have lots and lots and lots and lots of conversations about it. So many conversations, <laughs> so many conversations you will have if you're going to do this if, and you're, you're going to do it well, right? Think about how much it takes to have a relationship with one person. Now add another person and then add all the feelings about the other people and let me tell you, you're going to have a lot of conversations about jealousy if you're doing it well. But at the end of the day, there is this possibility where it becomes a spiritual practice. And, you know, Kamala Devi McClure, she makes, or they make this case on the episode, this prior episode that like, it's actually a path to, or I've heard it many times, but it's like a path to world peace. If we can overcome our own jealousy, like so many problems go away in the world if we're not just hanging on to what we think is ours. So there is this spiritual philosophical reorientation that's possible. It's just, I've rarely seen a human that can actually do it, but it's possible. And maybe for you, it's that novelty is exactly what your heart needs and what your partner's heart needs. But I would just really go slowly with this. I guess wise words and investigate the why. Mm -hmm. Investigate the why. We, we talked a lot about this on our last podcast. If, if this person wants to go back and go more into like the investigating the why, because I think that's really important. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. What is the reason to be in a relationship for people now? I love this question. This is a good one because it's like, we're taking the historical view, right? Like if we think about, there were kind of three eras, right? There was the hunter-gatherer era where it was about kind of diversifying resources and and making sure that security was based in diversification, right? So this is actually, there is a case for open relating and uh, based in the hunter-gatherer era where we were less monogamous and we it was all about in order for our offspring to survive, there was like a diversification across the tribe or across different clans, right? And then we became tied to the land, the agrarian age. And when we became tied to the land, we became much more monogamous by uh, culture because the 
offspring then became assets to farm the land. And this is when kind of organized religion started to really take root and we became much more monogamous. And just in the last, I don't know, in the last less than 100 years, there's been this shift in human relating that, at least in the developed world, that we don't necessarily need each other anymore, right? Like, Kiana, you could get pregnant without a man. And there's like, it's very common and normal, right? So we don't need each other even to reproduce. While women are underpaid relative to men, women can absolutely support themselves and their families without needing a man. And so it's a different era that we're in around why we get married, why we enter into relationships. So that's how I looked at this question. It's like, what is it? What is the possibility now? What is the possibility now around what relationship can be? And in my mind, relationship is a path to spiritual growth at its, at its most core essence. You know, it can be a path to self-awareness, a path to becoming a better version of ourselves. Relationships are one of the most difficult things about life, <laughs> most nourishing, most challenging, most beautiful. And if we can find a way to do it well and hang in there when it's really difficult and, and know when to leave when we need to leave, like we're learning so much about ourselves as a human and we're, we're actually growing it. and there's deep fulfillment in that beyond the obvious, which is companionship and sharing life with someone else, which is, you know, maybe actually the most fundamental aspect. All right. What, do you, what say you, Kiana? Why do we need relationships? What are they for these days? So I love the anthropological view. And it doesn't change the fact that while our society and our social structures have changed and the way that our communities are set up are very different, our our biology, I'm literally going to talk to the nervous system all day today, our biology is still the same. And we are social creatures and we are highly, highly dependent on each other for our well-being and our sense of belonging, whether or not we believe that to be true or not, whether or not we decide to sit behind a computer and, you know, our friends are AI or, you know, we have a few friends, like we're fine alone. Yes, but we're better together. That's a simple answer. And at the end of the day, you ask yourself the question, if I have one life in this lifetime that I get to live what am I in for? Like, how do I want my life to be? And how do I want to live it? And if you want to experience the depth of life, depth of connection, it's unquestionably through relationship and through love. It doesn't necessarily have to be romantic, but the, if you're in for growth, if you're in for connection, if you're in for experience, if you're in for meeting yourself, if you're in for meeting the divine, then that's through other it doesn't happen in this little isolated tank of thinking we know ourselves. It happens in the, the the dynamic tension of having to work with another being, whether that's your kids, your parents, your best friends, or your partner. And partnership and sexuality in general, to be someone who's so invested in that means to be willing to like get at your deepest edges. And at your deepest growth, because our sexuality and our intimate relationships are the places where we have the most patterning, the most shame, the most habit, and the most blockages in our bodies, in our psyches, and in our spiritual bodies. And so I think that's the, like, ask yourself what you're in for, how you want your life to actually be. And if there is any of those qualities that you want, then, you know, far and wide, it's through relating that we can reach those places. Mm, amen. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful vision for what relationship can be. Thank you. Okay, so here is our last question for the episode. Uh, this is a bit of a longer one, so uh, it, it has a little context to it. So this is from a woman who says, I am desiring a partner and a baby, and I'm feeling my clock ticking. I'm not wanting to settle and asking, do I have to settle? My standards are such that I've never felt that I've found my person. But not having a child would be the biggest regret of my life. And I'm not wanting to have a baby on my own. I want to do it in relationship. I have a partner now that doesn't have all the qualities that I want. So my question is, how do you settle without settling? 
three things stand out to me in this question. One is around who you have children with and who you end up with and that they're not always the same people. And I think that's important to get into. The second is around something that she said a few times in there. I was like, I've never met this person. I've never like met someone who I felt like was my person. And that to me has a little bit of like a cueing that I want to pull apart. Um, And actually, let's just start with those two. So the first one is that, you know, I have kids with two different men and I'm with neither of those men. And what she is facing is the biological clock while also wanting, you know, lifelong partnership and someone to meet all of the, the things that she desires in relationship. And because of the biological clock piece, I think you actually have to take some of those things apart and look at what she said, which was so profound. It will be the biggest regret of my life if I do not become a mother. So to me, that's priority number one. That actually like is priority number one. And yes, you don't want to do it on your own, but it's not about settling, but you kind of have to decide if that's your number one priority because it will be the biggest regret of your life. Is it priority enough to decide to either do it on your own, do it with the person with your with, or miss that opportunity? Because like that's the way that women's bodies work. And that's a question I would really thoroughly investigate because it can be done solo or it can be done with a person that you don't end up with. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that one first. You know, there's a lot of different ways to become a parent, to become a mother, right? Like, as she mentioned, she could do this by herself. We're at a point in human history where we don't, it, you know, she doesn't need to be in a relationship to have a baby. And that's a possibility. She's saying she doesn't want to do that. That makes sense, right? So there's also this desire for deep relationship. As a parent myself, I'll say it's super important who you choose to make a baby with, right? And I'm super blessed in that department, right? Um, my co-parent, you know, she's amazing. And I can't imagine it being any other way. And I look at other relationships that that isn't there. And it is really, really, really hard. So um, I have a slightly different view on this, which is, you know, as a man in his 40s who has dated, been dating in my 30s and 40s, um, there is this thing about women kind of reaching this age. And I'm constantly scanning for whether the relationship is about me or wanting to have a baby. And for me, it's like super important that the relationship is first. And I think this is the ideal way to do it, right? Is to like put the relationship first really establish what the Buddhists call a ground of health and let whatever wants to be born from that emerge from a really solid foundation. And, you know, that's even aside from whether I've got the perfect ideal mate, you know, there is a thing about sometimes we don't, like we commit to the potential in our partner rather than the reality. And that sometimes is necessary, right? So anyway, I I say this because you know, at this age, you know, there's some radar out, especially with men about like, okay, is, am I just a sperm donor here or are we doing this as a relationship? Right. And I also have friends who have just made an agreement, like we're getting on in, in life. Like we're not getting any younger. Let's, let's have a child together. And it's not actually about a long-term relationship. It's about both of us wanting a child at this stage in life. And We'll kind of see what's on the other side of it. And I've had several friends who have done that and some relationships are still flourishing and others that's not happening. Um, so there's, there's a lot of ways to do it. Yeah. I, I think that's what I was getting at is like, there's three, there's three potential things happening here and you kind of have to investigate them individually because coming into the relationship with the need to have a baby, and this is a need for her, right? The, the need to at least try to get pregnant and have a child is a need. And so to go into a relationship with that while having kind of like a pressurized window puts pressure pretty immediately on the relationship. And so I I think if we can extract three different parts of this question, one is motherhood, really examining that on in its own little bubble, my relationship with motherhood, 
how I'm willing to do that and get there and what level of priority am I going to give that in my life? Would I be willing to do it without partner if that's what it came down to? Second would be relationship. And I put that right next to this thing that I just think might be a potential pattern or a potential habit that's worth examining, which is, yes, for some people in your life, you may have never felt like, oh, I've met like my person. But if you've had the feeling of like, I've never fully felt met, or I've never really like been able to like give myself fully in love, there's something happening internally that's actually stopping that from happening. And that's where I would get into the question around, you know, perfectionism and criticism. And, um, you know, sometimes our own internal self-loathing or our own insecurities, our own inheritance of familial criticism and judgment of others gets internalized and then projected onto partners as our inability to receive love and our inability to receive them as they are. So that's like, that's the piece that I would lean into here with partnership is that gets tricky because yes, maybe you've not met your person and absolutely it can happen 30s, 40s, 50s, 70s might meet your person then, you know, but it's that massaging, like, have I excavated every part of my heart to make sure that when I'm showing up to love somebody, that I can love them fully as they are and that I'm able to receive their love. And I think that's, that's a piece worth pulling apart. Yeah. We won't actually attract um, kind of somebody that can deeply love us and meet us if we're not doing that excavation fully. And, you know, I'm a picky motherfucker <laughs> in relationship. Hell yeah, I am too. I understand this, right? Like, um, but I do have to say, you know, like you can be a picky motherfucker and once or twice a year, you meet somebody that totally rings your bell that you're, you just, you have to explore something with. Right. And, you know, in my experience, that's about how often for me it, it occurred or has occurred. Right. And um, so what is the other time spent doing? Like, you know, one consideration here would be if you're not, if you're not a hell yes to the relationship you're in end the relationship immediately. Yep. Take one year and do this deeper, much deeper work around making your heart more available for love, the vulnerability of allowing yourself to be met and really fully expressing your heart, right? Take a year. And then at the end of the year, if you feel like you still, you know, you need to make some sort of compromise to, you know, to have a child, then you do it. But if you've never felt like you've been met or seen or been compelled like that somebody can really hold your heart i think that's maybe more a representation of an opportunity for you to do some deeper work yeah and and there's two things just from personal experience that i think would be useful here for me the way that my like picky motherfucker shadow exists was as very strong criticism towards my partner and I wouldn't like verbally criticize them, but it, it got so tangled in me that I was just like pretty much repulsed and disgusted by most, you know, by the time a relationship was done, I was like, Ugh, like, no, not my person. And yeah, they were not my person, but also that was so much internalized stuff. And so I did a lot of shadow practice around the inherited inner critic that actually wasn't a critic was just like a lonely ass part of either myself or my maternal lineage that I inherited that that really couldn't receive love and so just rejected it rejected it in these subtle ways and so shadow works one the second is you actually if you can get an energetic imprint of how your your true love, your true partner, your like the love of your life would feel in your heart. If you can get like a really strong energetic blueprint of that in your mind and in your emotional field, and you practice with that every day, like feeling him in your life, feeling his trustability, trusting how much he sees you, how much he loves you, how much he shows up for you, how much he wants to have a baby with you. And you practice with that then you will know how to recognize it when it walks in your front door. 
But if you have never felt that before, it's it's not going to be something that you recognize or or see in someone right away. And so I think that like the like try as much as you can to blueprint into your nervous system through a practice of what how you want love to feel and how you want to be able to receive love. Hell yes. Hell yes. Hell yes. Funny story with this. Funny beautiful story. Um my partner, my girlfriend, she read to me recently the list that she wrote like a year ago, so you know, a few months before we met. And it was this very long, elaborate list, but in there included how she would feel and like what the felt sense was. And it was astounding. She basically described me, you know, and yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, it was quite an honor to hear it, you know. Um, but it's what you're saying. Like she knew what, she, how she wanted to feel. She knew how the structure of my life, what, you know, what type of man I was. And so when, when we met, she was a hell yes, you know, yeah. because she had done all of that work and, and the visioning work. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah. yeah, and that's, that was a beautiful gift to hear that for me at some point, you know, mm-hmm. six months on in the relationship. So, yeah. And last thing I'll say is like, and I'm going to speak for you here, Luke, but you and I both practiced in our ache, in our excruciating mm-hmm. ache mm-hmm. to be loved fully and to like be with our person for a really long solid, painful, beautiful amount of time. Years. <laughs> fully. Fully in it. Yeah. See, so I, there is this thing where the the ache of wanting to love, the longing, right, that we will do things to distract and stuff it, like stay in relationships that are a five rather than a 10 or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever other habits we put ourselves in to distract ourselves from feeling that. And really allowing ourselves to feel all the adjacent feelings like self-loathing and loneliness and um, even self-hatred, right? Like to really allow ourselves to move through all of those feelings. And beneath that is longing. Longing, as Rumi says, is the secret cup, right? It is the connection to the divine. Um, So allow yourself to feel the ache. And that's actually the beacon. That is the thing that the partner will feel like the the longing to connect. Okay, so I think that'll do it for this episode and this round of questions. So we have this idea. We would love to do this again, Kiana and I, and do this as a regular series, this ongoing series around uh, a Q&A for relationship, sex, intimacy. So we'd love to actually receive audio versions of these questions so that you all can hear the question from the person that has it. If you'd like to have your question um, answered in an audio format, just text us or email us your question. You can reach out over social media in our DMs, and we'll arrange for you to send that to us, and we'll answer your question on the next episode that we do this. So that'll do it. Uh, Kiana, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? Oh, yeah. Uh, my website, kianareeves.com, K-I-A-N-A-R-E-E-V-E-S.com. And then Instagram's a great place too, kiana.reeves. And um, I do classes and I work one-on-one with people and love this stuff so much all day and all night. Live it, breathe it, you know? Amazing. Well, we have this budding sex, intimacy, and relationship Q&A series with Luke and Kiana that's emerging. So can't wait to have you back on the show. Until then, thank you, Kiana. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Crazy Wisdom. If you like what you heard, please do rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen. This helps new people find the show. Maybe more importantly, it helps us grow our Crazy Wisdom community. My hope for you is between now and the next time you listen, that you try one new thing, one thing that would help you live a life of deeper purpose, deeper meaning, a life of greater love. And maybe that one thing is a little different, a little odd, a little intense, perhaps even a little crazy.